Locked On Angels, your daily Los Angeles Angels podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Angels, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're locked in with your host, Brent McGuire. In today's episode, we talk to Bobby Wagner, the co-host of the Tipping Pitches podcast and a producer at the Ringer Sports Network. We get into a lot of issues related to labor within the sport of baseball, the CBA, the uh, debates between the owners and the players. It's a lot of fun. Bobby is a very knowledgeable person on this topic, and it was a very engaging and interesting conversation that I think you will very much enjoy. Before getting to that, we will dive into some Angels news that is relevant to today. But before getting into the episode, as usual, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at BMAGS94. You can follow my written work at Crashing the Pearly Gates. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to download, subscribe, rate, and review the Locked on Angels podcast wherever you get your podcast from. So happy Wednesday. Like I mentioned, we're going to talk with Bobby Wagner of Tipping Pitches and the Ringer Podcast Network. Before doing so, there were some Angels-related stories that I kind of wanted to touch on uh, before getting into this conversation. And I think the first one was Shohei Otani signing a two-year deal with the Angels. This is not, I, it's not a huge move from the sense that the Angels aren't going to control him any longer, but the Angels and Otani were slated to go to an arbitration hearing. Uh, if you remember correctly, about a month ago, the Angels and Otani could not agree to a deal in arbitration. The Angels offered $2.5 million. Otani wanted $3.3 million. And it was announced on Monday that Otani signed a two-year, $8.5 million deal that extends through next year. Uh, this is according to Jeff Fletcher of the OC Register, said that Otani will earn $3 million in 2021 and $5.5 million in 2022. So nothing substantial here. This is kind of right around where you'd expect Otani to kind of come in with his numbers. I, I will say the interesting aspect is if Otani does go out and have a rather substantial year this year, uh, $5 million or $5.5 million is a pretty good deal for next year. But uh, noteworthy to pass this along. I know some fans were a little concerned uh, a little while back about the fact that the two sides couldn't agree to a deal and what that might mean for the two sides. Well, it doesn't appear that anything really changed all that much. So good news for both sides. And there was one other piece of Angels news, uh, or it's really more baseball news. On Tuesday, we saw the Pocota projections at Baseball Prospectus released. If you're not familiar with what these are, they're an annual projection system that projects what the standings are going to be, what certain players will do, all that kind of stuff. It's kind of like a a ritual within the sport of baseball when they're released. You kind of know that you're getting pretty close to the start of the season. So those came out on Tuesday, and the Angels have a fairly good projection for the season. So Pakoda has the Angels finishing with 87 wins. That would be the fourth best record in the American League, and that puts them as the top uh, American League wildcard team. So they do have the Angels making the playoffs in this scenario. Now, it's important to remember with projections that projections are not predictions. So this is not the website saying that 
they're predicting the Angels are going to make the playoffs. This is based on the algorithm, running tests, simulations, all that kind of stuff. And more often than not, the Angels fared well in these circumstances. So this is a pretty good and rosy, <laughs> optimistic projection for the Angels. And when you look at kind of like the individual uh, player projections, it's kind of easy to see why they feel this way. They see an Angels pitching staff that's actually going to be above average from a run prevention standpoint. They seem to really like the rotation. They think Bundy, Heaney, Quintana, Cobb, Otani, all of those guys can kind of be a good above average unit. They seem to like the bullpen. And funny enough, they're actually, the projection system's a little down on guys like Anthony Rendon. They have a four win projection for him. David Fletcher has a 1.9 win projection. It's basically Mike Trout and a bunch of uh, decent to okay players based on the system. So it's not exactly the way that you would have expected it to happen under this projection, but pretty optimistic stuff. And there was uh, one thing I wanted to kind of point out with all of this, and I looked this up earlier on Tuesday just to see what the past history was like for Pocota projections and the Angels. So they've been pretty spot on. You go back the past five years, back in 2016, Pocota projected the Angels to win 76 games. They won 74. 2017, they were projected to win 78. They ended up winning 80. In 2018, 79 projected, 80 actual wins. 2019 was the biggest discrepancy, and that was a nine-win swing. They were projected to finish at 500 with 81 wins. They actually finished with 72 wins. Now, with these projections, it's important to remember that there can be very big swings depending on what happens in season, and a six to eight win swing is really not all that surprising when looking at these. And then uh, last year, again, this was kind of a wacky year. They're projected to win 87 games before the season. This was obviously before COVID really just derailed the entire season as a whole, so it's kind of unclear to see what the Angels might have done. But this is a good optimistic projection from Pakoda. And maybe coincidentally, we also got the projections or the standings from Fangraphs posted on the same day. And they have the Angels at 85 wins. So it's not just one outlet that seems to be buying the Angels a good amount. A couple outlets are pretty optimistic about what they're going to do this year. So wanted to pass that along and give you some Angels news before we dive into this conversation. So what you're about to hear is my conversation with Bobby Wagner. He is the co-host of the Tipping Pitches podcast and a producer at The Ringer. He works on the Baseball Barbecue podcast, the R2C2 podcast with CC Sabathia and many more at The Ringer, but was really interested to hear Bobby's thoughts on labor within the sport of baseball. The Tipping Pitches podcast is a little different than your normal baseball podcast. They talk a lot about the debates between the owners and the players, uh, labor within the sport. They definitely engage in some different topics. Some of them are a little more difficult to kind of grasp your head on, but I really enjoyed having this conversation with Bobby. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Bobby Wagner of Tipping Pitches and The Ringer. All right. I am very excited to be joined by Bobby Wagner, a producer at The Ringer and the co-host of the Tipping Pitches podcast. Bobby, how are you? I'm doing all right, Brent. I'm happy to be here. Happy to talk about the Angels, Southern California's favorite baseball team. Well, I'm not going to let you off the hook yet. We got to start with the Mets. Uh, for those that are not familiar, Bobby uh, is a big Mets fan. And 
this has been a complicated offseason for the Mets. Uh, a lot of good things and a lot of not-so-good things. Yeah, you've gotten Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco, James McCann, all these other guys. But you've also had the Jared Porter situation. You've had the uh, Mickey Calloway situation. Steve Cohen being on Twitter and then getting bullied off Twitter. Like, can you talk about the experience of being a Mets fan, especially in, in what feels like the most, the most Mets offseason of all time? Yeah, I mean, I do have a bit of whiplash. Uh, it is a weird experience being a Mets fan online, especially when it's uh, public and annoying as I am. But I, I mean, I want to say quickly, like everything with Porter, everything with Callaway clearly was an organizational failure from the Mets perspective, but is also an institutional failure, Major League Baseball wide. Um, and so when you see people making like lol Mets jokes after that stuff happened, I, I would just caution people to not not to assume that this is not a thing that happens with all other baseball teams because of, you know, the original incident with Porter happening with the Cubs and then him going to a different team. And then obviously Callaway having these troubling allegations at all of his different stops throughout Major League Baseball. So I would say the Mets are no no better or worse than this failure of an institution that is Major League Baseball and and how it treats marginalized people um you know but to the extent of the rest of the mess offseason i mean it's very strange having a baseball owner who was on twitter <laughs> um i don't know how else to say that other than like i knew that it couldn't go well um and it, it actually ended before it went extremely negatively um but it was a weird experience to get online and see like chief poster Steve Cohen tweeting about how they couldn't close the deal to get, you know, Trevor Bauer or whatever that day. So um, I'm glad that that is actually over for what it's worth. And then I'll circle back to all of the positive stuff last, as Mets fans typically do. I mean, Francisco Lindor is on the Mets. I'm I'm over the moon about this. And, you know, at the time of this recording, that's me putting positive vibes out into the world. At the time of this recording, they have not extended him yet. They're obviously not going to. They're. They're not going to extend him before this podcast comes out, but I'm trying to speak it into existence as I have with a few other things in my life. Um, I, I, I've never really had a baseball player like this to root for without complication. You know, like in terms of electricity, he reminds you of another up the middle guy that the Mets had in the mid 2000s um, in Jose Reyes. But he is obviously a complicated figure because of the domestic violence uh, case against him and his suspension. Um <laughs> which the Mets then screwed up in bringing him back. Um, and then also you throw in Carlos Carrasco. So, you know, on one hand, it's like teams should consider competing. But on the other hand, if you're not going to consider competing, please trade your good baseball players to my team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and good point about the Mets and uh, MLB wide issue thing. I didn't want to imply that it was only a Mets thing. And obviously as we've seen with the angels, it's extended to the angels too, but I assume that more of these stories are going to start, start coming out here in the future. And I guess that's it's a positive thing that we're going to get these stories out there. And that's not to let the Mets off the hook, by the way, too. I think that Sandy Cohen has a lot to answer for in terms of how do you go through multiple hiring processes where something like this doesn't come up or, um, you know, you haven't come up with a great answer for how you're going to do better on this in the future yet. And you've had a while to think about it now at this point. Um, and that, that's a question that the Angels are going to have to answer as well, because it seems like Callaway specifically was an industry-wide, you know, open secret. And if it's an industry-wide open secret, it's the type of thing that a hiring process should reveal. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, 
So why don't we pivot to the Angels? Um, I want to get the outsider's perspective on this team because I cover this team 24-7. I feel like I'm always talking about them. Thinking about the underperformances over the last decade or so, I just want to get your perspective on what it's been like to kind of follow the Angels from the outside looking in, Mike Trout being the best player and the rest of the team just completely faltering on every possible level. Well, I think of them as a team with a lot of bad luck. And I'll give you I, I'll give you all everybody listening the benefit of the doubt here. I do think there are obviously organizational shortcomings in how they failed to build around Mike Trout. Like you should have a perennial contender if you have a player that is that good anywhere near his peak. And obviously Trout has been in his peak for, for basically since the day that he had a full season in Major League Baseball. So obviously there are failures there, but the, the health has been almost unfathomably bad, especially in the starting rotation. So when I think of the Angels, I think of you obviously have guys that are completely, you know, your eyes are glued to the TV trying to watch them in Trout and Otani when he's healthy. And, you know, even like a top prospect like Adele, I was excited for him to come up and see how he handled his first big league at bats and innings in the outfield in the middle of a pandemic, which was, I'm sure that was very strange. Um, but then they also have another, uh, enough other interesting guys that it makes it worthwhile to tune into an entire Angels game. You know, like a Griffin Canning start is fun to check out. And Andrew Haney start is fun to check out because he has swing and miss stuff. So you never know when he's going to rip off a bunch of strikeouts in a, in a performance. Um, and then they've added, you know, Iglesias from the Reds, who's a pretty good back of the bullpen piece. And they have Fletcher, who's like his own cult hero. And I, I just think that... It's fascinating that I find them to be entertaining when the end product at the end of every year is like 79 wins. Because that's the type of team that I would think of would be the least entertaining in baseball for me to watch, especially outside of my league and for most of my life outside of my geographical era area. Now, since I moved to L.A. for work, I now have attended multiple Angels baseball games. I've attended multiple Dodgers games. So it's a little bit closer to home for me now, and they're in my own time zone, so I'm checking them out a lot. Um, and I also, you know, this might be heresy to say on this podcast, but I also support the A's because my co-host, Darn Tipping Pitches, is a gigantic A's fan. So I catch a lot of Angels games, and I'm never really bored. But it is sort of like, you know, the holy grail is trying to figure out how to build a team around Michael, Mike Trout, you know. Coming up here in a bit, we are going to finish this conversation with Bobby. But first, let me tell you about Built Bar. Built Bar is one of the best tasting protein bars on the market right now. The new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious than it's ever been before. With 18 amazing flavors, including six new flavors such as caramel brownie, cookies and cream, and carrot cake, Built Bars are absolutely delicious. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate and they are soft and easy to chew. And most importantly, Built Bars are healthy. They're great for the health conscious guy or gal. Bars are low calorie low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. And if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code Locked On, you'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code Locked On for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear, like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts to customers online 
for 20 years. So if you go to their website at rockauto.com right now, you can find all of the auto and body parts you're looking for from hundreds of manufacturers. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all of those parts available for your car or truck, right? Locked on in there. How did you hear about us, box? So they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. February is Black History Month, and the Locked On Podcast Network is honoring the challenges and successes of black men and women in sports with a new series called Locked On Presents More Than the Game. This week, Candace Cooper of Locked On Tar Heels and Erica Ayala of Locked On Women's Basketball discuss the opportunities and challenges that come with being a black woman in sports. Subscribe to the Locked On Presents podcast feed on the radio.com app or wherever you get your podcast from. Yeah, it, it's an ongoing process. I'm hoping they can actually make the playoffs uh, this year. So why don't we pivot to talking about your podcast, uh, Tipping Pitches, for those that are not familiar. And I kind of want to talk about some of the CBA stuff that you're interested in. So I kind of want to get your uh, the background and the inspiration for the podcast and where the interest stemmed from. Obviously, this is a very relevant topic right now with the both sides entering the last year of the collective bargaining agreement. I kind of hear the background on why you started a, started a podcast that really specializes in talking about labor stuff in baseball. Yeah, well, you know, when we started the show, we weren't sure that it was going to specify talking about labor stuff. Um, we we started the show at our college radio station, so um, we didn't have a ton of direction for how we wanted to do it. We just knew that we were getting into long, drawn-out conversations about things in the baseball world that we didn't really hear in our baseball consumption. You know, it wasn't going to be waiver wire editions in fantasy, or it wasn't going to be... Um, here are the biggest winners of the trade deadline because we just, at the time, were not, you know, qualified enough to have those conversations necessarily. But we were talking about a lot of a lot of other stuff around the periphery of the game. So, like, why aren't certain baseball players bigger superstars? I remember like one of our earliest episodes was, how do we find baseball's LeBron? And obviously, that's a huge question that they're never going to have the answer to because LeBron is a very singular figure, even within the world of basketball. Um, but things like that. And then it, it kind of grew over the years to be more in line with how we filter the politics of our regular life, which is through labor. And so when CBA stories come up, that's that's like right in our sweet spot. Um, when it's the players union going back and forth about the owners kind of cutting through that is in our sweet spot and talking about it in a way that is honestly more applicable and more reasonable and isn't just like, oh, both sides are being so annoying or both sides are you know ruining this sport that we love trying to contextualize it in what's actually going on so that was kind of the origins of it it's evolved over time a lot we've been doing the pod since 2017 and i really feel like you know in the last couple of years we've hit a groove of being able to understand all of the existential dread that is kind of injected into this potion by the owners but also kind of using our own optimism about the health of the sport and the charisma of the amazing superstars that we have in it to kind of cut through some of that dread that we're feeling from time to time, as I'm sure many, many fans are, including fans who have, um, have to exist under the ownership of Artie Moreno. Yeah. Uh, I could go on for a long time about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you actually just mentioned uh, the both sides thing, and I'm actually curious to hear your perspective on that. I talked about this on the last podcast, 
uh, that we had her last week. I talked about the way that the media was framing this uh, this argument or this uh, discussion between this deal as being like a both sides are bad type of argument. And obviously for us, I think we're able to read through the lines and recognize that this is a spin that the owners are trying to put out there. Can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit more and why this is such a tough issue for like most casual fans to kind of grasp onto? I mean, I'm sure it's it's very difficult because, you know, the line that you'll hear put out there very frequently is it's millionaires versus billionaires. Why should I care? Right. Well, if you do care about the health of the sport overall, number one, you'll care about labor peace because we can't have a sport without one side agreeing with the other eventually. Now, I'll say like. That is just what a CBA is. So when you hear people talking about the CBA, it's obviously this big, scary document that's over 100 pages that I would encourage if you have some free time to kill, just go crush that, man. Just go rip off a little light Sunday reading if you got some extra time. Um, But it's a ton of legalese, and it's obviously decades and decades of American labor law have gone into building how you're able to negotiate these things back and forth with high-powered lawyers and things of that sort. Um... But what you need in order to have baseball, unfortunately, is uh, a compromise between both sides. And that's what the CBA ends up being. It's, it, it's the legally binding document that governs the working conditions in Major League Baseball. So it's, it's about everything. It's about like how many guys can be on a team? How long do they have to be up before their service time changes? All of that stuff is governed by the CBA, um, including like how many times you can get sent down to the minors and how much of the baseball, you know, ticket gate revenue the players get versus how much the owners get. And it's just the way that we can say, Hey, we want to play baseball. You want to put baseball games on a field so that you can make money off of it, make money off the players labor. And we can all be happy and uh, bring this wonderful product to the fans. So, I mean, why fans should care about it is that reason. Um, why fans should try to read between the lines um, on the sort of both sides of rhetoric is because owners are basically trying to make as much money as they possibly can on the field. And that trickles down into suppressing salaries and not keeping superstars like you've seen. And it's become a little bit of an epidemic among small, medium, and even some large market teams that they don't want to keep their superstars. And that that matters to you. Like that matters to you. That matters to me. Had the Angels not re-signed Trout because they wanted to get cheap, that would matter to everybody listening to this podcast. So I do think that it is important. You know, we've had my friend Michael Bowen on the show multiple times, and he keeps towing, toting this line. It's just what your boss is doing to you on a grander scale. So you have to factor that in, and you have to kind of temper your feelings about how much all of these players make, because you can actually see how much all of these players make, versus you don't really know how much the owners are making off this, but I do promise you that it's a lot because their net worth keeps going up and up and up. And the grand revenue of major league baseball keeps going up and up and up. So I don't know how to like, you know, like morally convince people to care about the fact that players should get their share of that revenue. Cause they're the ones actually doing the work. But as long as you understand that it's not just both sides going back and forth bickering, I think it's a good place to start. All right, I want to wrap this up with kind of like a final question. So over time, there's no doubt that 
players have gotten more and more of their share. Their rights have gotten, they're better. They're making a little bit more money, but we have seen over the last five years that the profits of owners have just skyrocketed. As you just mentioned, player salaries have actually like stagnated over time. And that's going beyond any of the other things within the sport. You talked about uh, owners becoming cheap and almost this idea of, you know, losing ball games is just as profitable as winning ball games in the current infrastructure of Major League Baseball. So the CBA is expiring after this season. What is something or what's like the major thing that you want to see changed uh, going into the future of baseball? Well, I mean, if I had a wish list that I could just wave a wand and change, number one, we would get rid of owners entirely and the cities would own the teams. But that's maybe a little bit too radical to sneak into these last four or five minutes that we have here, Brent. But uh, in terms of realistic, uh, realistically expecting what could change if the players went really hard for it, number one, I think that minor leaguers need to be included in the union or they need to have their own union. Um, And that's been sort of a rallying cry of our podcast for the last year since the pandemic is unionize the minor leagues because then those union, those unionized players will have the ability to um, argue on their own behalf to go to the table and collectively bargain with the owners who, you know, own their services because they draft them and then send them to these minor league teams. They will be able to collectively bargain over what they're paid, which right now, if a lot of people don't know is less than livable wage is less than minimum wage because there is an antitrust exemption that says that baseball teams can pay minor leaguers less than the federal minimum wage, which is unbelievable in in an industry that makes so, so, so much money, tens of billions of dollars every year. So that would be number one. Number two, I would say death to arbitration and pre-arbitration. Like, I think that the fundamental problem with wages stagnating at the Major League Baseball level is that Teams have realized they don't want to give contracts to free agents who are around 30. And there's a lot of reasons for that. It's owner cheapness, but it's sort of like defensible. You know, you think about it like you think about the Pujols contract. Number one, wait, first of all, who's playing first for the Angels this year? I don't know. But, but uh, uh, Jared Walsh <laughs> is the answer to that. <laughs> you think about owners don't want to give long contracts to players after 30, but that is really when a baseball player under this current economic structure makes the meat of their income for their entire career is because they've been held with their salary depressed all the way through those first six years of team control. So get rid of team control because that is when the players are most valuable. Juan Soto right now making a million dollars performing like Ted Williams. It, It just doesn't make any sense in any, you know, reasonable view of how owners think that capitalism should govern our society like these people are performing the most for your team they're uh, they're bringing in the most revenue because they're creating the most fans they're making the team the best that they can possibly be and there are rules that say they can only make so much money and granted like i would love it if you just blew that system up entirely a more realistic version of that would be a lot more like the nba where they have a rookie scale so where are you picked and how much can you make given where you were picked is a lot closer to what a max contract in the NBA might look like versus, you know, you have Trout making 40 million a year or, or you have Garrett Cole making 36 million a year and then you have Juan Soto making 1 million a year. It's just way, way, way out of whack. So 
heading into next year's CBA, I think that those are the two things that I really wish that I could wave a wand and change. But at this point, we don't really know what the union is prioritizing. And that's intentional because they don't want the owners to know what they're prioritizing either. Because it's all about what you can garner support and leverage for once you get to the bargaining table. Okay. I got one final question for you. Are we going to have a work stoppage going into next year? Do you think we're going to miss any games? Um, yes, I, I do think so. I mean, I don't want to be the doom and gloom guy, right? But work stoppages are the, the language of a, an attacked union, right? Like they are, that is how the union gets the owners to actually listen in good faith to them is they withhold their labor. And if we know anything about how the, the owners have been acting over the last five or 10 years, it's they're handing out, you know, champ, WWE championship belts for the team that can suppress their young players' wages the most efficiently. And they're trading away Nolan Arenado and offering to pay $50 million so that they don't have to pay the rest of his $200 million. So it doesn't seem like they particularly are hearing what players are saying. Um, and the last week of labor negotiations has not changed anything about that. Um, so I think that there will be at least a partial work stoppage. I don't know how long it will last. I really hope that it's not like 1994 where we miss an entire season in playoffs. Um, but it's just really, it's really, really hard to say. Um, but rest assured, we will be covering it week in and week out on tipping pitches. I promise you that. Uh, great stuff, Bobby. Uh, thank you for, for doing this. Uh, where can the fans find you on Twitter? Where can they find the podcast that you both co-host and produce? Yeah, uh, I'm at BWAGS on Twitter. Uh, the podcast is at Tipping underscore Pitches on Twitter. It's available anywhere you get your podcast. So Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Comes out every Monday. Maybe it'll come out twice a week if uh, we have more to talk about uh, regarding a work stoppage. Okay, I probably, that'll be our first emergency pod. We've never done an emergency pod, but if there's news that there might be a work stoppage, maybe that's a reason. Oh, I can't wait for it. <laughs> uh, Bobby, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Brent. That's going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Angels. A big thank you to Bobby Wagner of Tipping Pitches for joining the podcast. I thoroughly enjoy listening to his thoughts on the sport. And if you're really interested in this kind of stuff, I highly uh, recommend going to check out the Tipping Pitches podcast. It's a lot of interesting conversations. And like he mentioned, this is really relevant right now because of the expiring CBA that's coming after this year. And really just in general, it's important to kind of learn more about this and the dynamic that takes place because there's a lot to be learned from what's happening between the uh, Players Association and Major League Baseball as a whole. And these things are important. So it's fun to talk about this. And yeah, again, make sure to go check that out. In terms of what is coming next for Friday's episode, it's probably going to be kind of like a wrap up for this week and really the last handful weeks of Angels baseball. So we're going to do a fan mailbag segment. So if you have any questions regarding the podcast, the Angels baseball, or really anything else, uh, send them my way. You can tweet at me at bmags94, or you can send them to the Locked on Angels podcast. You can DM whatever is better for you. So if you want to send some questions and make sure to do so before uh, Friday's episode. But with that being said, that's going to do it for today's episode. As always, thank you for joining. Stay safe out there. And we will talk some Angels baseball on Friday.